Well, good morning, sisters and brothers, uh, and a very happy Mother's Day to those who are celebrating. Uh, can you turn with me, please, to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, to chapter 2, verse 5, which is our epistle reading for today. At Colossians 1, 24, to chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, if you've got that, let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us uh, by your Spirit, through your Word. Uh, please speak to us as we look at this passage together. Uh, please encourage us and strengthen us and warn us and protect us. Uh, and please help us by your Spirit to respond rightly to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. When we are involved in God-glorifying Christian ministry, what should we expect? Should we expect that everything will be smooth sailing? That God will just lead us from one success to the next? That everything will fall in place, that will turn out well, and we have minimal pain? We effortlessly bound from, from one victory to the next. The gospel goes striving forth into the world. Or do we expect it to sometimes be difficult? Should we expect it to work hard and get tired? Or should we expect to be disappointed? Uh, to face hurdles and struggles and, and suffering. Is ministry meant to be easy or hard? And if it's difficult, is it really worthwhile? Or should we just give up? In our passage today, the Apostle Paul, carried along by the Holy Spirit, describes his ministry. Look at some of the words he uses to describe it. Uh, in verse 24, he talks about suffering. In verse 29, he talks about toil. In chapter 2, verse 1, he talks about struggle. And yet, this passage is also marked by something else. We see the word for it, both at the beginning of the passage in chapter 1, verse 24, and at the end of the passage in chapter 2, verse 5. And that is the word rejoicing. Suffer, suffering, toil, struggle, and rejoicing. In fact, Paul says in chapter 1, verse 24, that he rejoices in his suffering. Now, a masochist is someone who gets a kick out of suffering pain. And a sadist is someone who gets a kick out of someone else's suffering pain. I don't know if you've heard the joke about the, the sadist and the masochist who were stranded together on a desert island. And the masochist says to the sadist, hurt me, hurt me. And the sadist says, no. Paul is not a masochist. So why does he rejoice in his suffering? Well, he does so because he knows that his suffering is worth something. It's not meaningless. Uh, to begin with, he knows who he's suffering for. Uh, in verse 24, he says, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. At the end of verse 24, it says, for the sake of his body, that is Christ's body, that is the church. Uh, he knows that he suffers for God's people. But more than that, he knows that his suffering is achieving something astounding for them. Look again what he says in verse 24. I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, that's a bit mind-blowing, isn't it? 
you've got to admit that's not what you expect him to say. He is filling up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. In what sense is Christ's suffering lacking? Uh, was not his sacrifice complete? Did, not, did he not bear all our sins in his body on the cross? Did he not rise from the dead to show that sin has been completely dealt with? How can Paul say that he suffers to make up for some deficiency in the afflictions of Christ? How can he finish a finished work? Well, it's important for us to work this out. Because by doing so, we will understand why he rejoices in his sufferings for the church. And if we get that, and that will help us to think about our own situation as well. In order to work out what Paul means, we need to look further at why Paul is suffering for the church. What is it he's doing that is, that is so difficult? Well, he says in verse 25 that he became a minister. The word really there is servant of the church. According, verse 25, to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. In other words, God had given Paul a responsibility. And that responsibility was, verse 25 continues, to make the word of God fully known. Paul was entrusted to make the word of God known. And this word of God that he proclaimed was, in verse 26, the mystery. Now, what's a mystery? A mystery is a secret, something that couldn't be known unless the person whose secret it is reveals it. Right? For example, you do not know what is in my hand. Right? That is a mystery to you. But if I reveal it to you, then you'll know what it is. And it is, ta-da, a paperclip. Now, Paul was meant to proclaim the mystery that, verse 25, was hidden, or verse 26, was hidden for ages and generations, but is now revealed to his saints, that is, the people who belong to Christ. Now, Paul was to make that mystery fully known. Uh, that secret that was to be revealed was going to have its rich impact not only among the Jews, but also in verse 27, among the Gentiles, those non-Jews, those who didn't have the God's, God's Old Testament promises. And so what is this mystery, this glorious secret that's no longer a secret that Paul is charged to, to proclaim to everyone? Well, Paul tells us three times. The end of verse 27, this mystery which is Christ. Verse 28, him, that is Christ, we proclaim. Or uh, in chapter 2, verse 2, you go down to that, it says, the end of verse 2 says, God's mystery, which is Christ. In other words, the greatness and glory of Christ, which is seen in the gospel, that is the mystery that Paul gladly suffers in order to proclaim. And he has already spoken about it at length in our passage last week. Christ is the one by whom, through whom, and for whom the whole universe exists. He is the king of creation. 
Christ is the head of the church, his people. The whole fullness of God is found in him. Through his death on the cross, God has reconciled all things to himself. At the cross, he defeated the devil and all his minions, and he paid the penalty of our sins so we can be presented holy and blameless and above reproach before him on that last day. All this was, was hidden beforehand, but now it's uncovered, it's revealed, it's proclaimed to the whole world. And this Christ, he is so great, he is so good, he is so glorious, that Paul can even rejoice to suffer if that's what it takes to fulfill his task of making him known. And now Paul says, this Christ, the one that he proclaims, dwells uh, in verse 27 in you right? or among you. Right? He, he doesn't elaborate on that. But we know from elsewhere that, that Christ dwells in his people by his Spirit. Now, individually, if we have the Spirit, we can rightly say that Christ dwells in us. And together we can say that Christ dwells among us by his Spirit. Uh, the Christ that Paul proclaims is, is in, with, and among his people. And this Christ, verse 27 continues, is the hope of glory. Uh, he is the one who secures our eternal life with God. And if he is in us by his Spirit, then we can be sure of that glorious future. And so, Paul and Timothy tell everyone, Jew and Gentile, about Christ, so that they too can share in this glory with Him. Him we proclaim, Paul says in verse 28. Christ, not anything else, is the content of their message. It's all about Him. And as they proclaim Him, as verse 28 says, they warn everyone, they do not shrink from telling people about the danger of not submitting to Christ. And in verse 28, they teach everyone with all wisdom, because real wisdom is founded in Christ and his gospel. That is what they teach. And the purpose of this, at the end of verse 28, is that they may present everyone mature in Christ. That is their goal. They, they want to see people not only coming to believe in Christ, but growing to maturity in Christ. And maturity is not moving away from Christ to something else, but it's appreciating more and more of the riches that we have in the gospel of Christ and applying more and more the implications of the gospel in our own lives so that we become more and more like Him. And so proclaiming Christ, warning people to turn to Christ and remain in Christ, teaching Christ in His gospel, and in doing so, seeking to present everyone mature in Christ. That is Paul's task. That is the responsibility that he's entrusted with. And he says in verse 29, For this I toil. For this I toil. Some people wear themselves out chasing fame and fortune for themselves. That is vain. It will not last. But Paul slogs to proclaim Christ and to present everyone mature in him. And as he does that, he's aware he does not struggle on his own. Verse 29 again. He struggles with all Christ's energy that he powerfully works within him. All right, back in chapter 1, verse 11, he had prayed that the Colossians would be strengthened with power for endurance and patience with joy. And now we see this is his own experience as well. It is God's power that enables Paul to press on proclaiming Christ, rejoicing 
in the midst of hardship and suffering. And sisters and brothers, you and I may do a different ministry than the Apostle Paul, but the end goal is the same. We want to see people growing to maturity in Christ. Him we proclaim. Friends, there are many potential messages a church could be proclaimed. There are many religious ideas around, even in Christian circles. There are many different emphases that we could choose to, to concentrate on. Some people have Christ, but, but what they really proclaim is health and wealth. Uh, some people have Christ, but what they really proclaim is a denomination or a movement. Uh, some people have Christ, but what they, what they really proclaim is their views on politics. Uh, some people have Christ, but what they really emphasize is something else. Some, maybe something that's right, but shouldn't be central. Some people have Christ, but what they proclaim is themselves or the personality of their pastors. But sisters and brothers, we must proclaim Christ. Our gospel message must make clear that Jesus Christ is supreme Lord of heaven and earth, that he died for our sins in our place, that he rose from the dead, that he will come back to judge the world and save his people. Him we proclaim. That's our emphasis. And no matter what kind of ministry we are doing, no matter what part we play in seeing Christ proclaimed, we know that it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be sunshine and fun. Sometimes it will be hard work. Sometimes there will be suffering and pain. But even in the midst of that, there is a joy in knowing that what we are doing really is worthwhile. There is a joy in knowing that directly or indirectly we are seeing Christ proclaimed and He deserves to be known. There is a joy in seeing people come to share in the hope of glory. And one day there will be a great joy in seeing the people that we have helped directly or indirectly being presented mature in Christ. So let us pray that God will strengthen us in the midst of the difficulties of ministry with power to persevere with joy. Now Paul struggles and toils for the spread of the gospel to everyone. But he tells uh, in chapter 2 verse 1 that it's a particularly great struggle for the people in Colossae and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen him face to face. And he is struggling so that their hearts, verse 2, may be encouraged. Their hearts have been encouraged, having been knit together in love, or you could have translated that, having been instructed by love, perhaps even through this letter. And he wants their hearts to be encouraged in order, verse 2, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery. Right? Put it simply, he's struggling so that they would be assured that they really do know God's mystery. That they'll be assured that they really do know God. He's working hard so they'll be confident that because they have Christ, they really have insight into the mind of the Creator Himself. That the mystery of God is no longer mysterious to them because God's mystery is, as we've seen before and we see again, is Christ. In whom, verse, 23, uh, verse 3, 
in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Our poor labor so they'll be secure in knowing that all they need to know about God has been revealed to them in Christ. That all the wisdom, all the knowledge, everything they need for life and godliness is found in Him. And why does He want them to know this? Well, because there are some people who are trying to rob the Colossians of their assurance. They are trying, in verse 4, to delude them with plausible arguments. So far, the Colossians haven't fallen for this, and so Paul is thankful. He says in verse 5, Though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And, and friends, as I look around, I think, I think we can say the same thing for us. Uh, as a church, there are many ways that we can improve. We all know that. But I am thankful that on the biggest and most important thing, this thing, we can rejoice. That by God's grace, we stand firm in Christ and His gospel. Let us never be swayed from that. And let us never take that for granted. Like the Colossians, we too must be alert for the dangers. For people will come to us and say, Yes, Christ is so important. We really respect the insights that He gives you into God and His nature. But you know, there are other insights into God that you can get from, from this other thing as well. God has scattered his, his revelation in different religions and different systems. Uh, you need to broaden your horizon to get a more comprehensive view. Uh, you mustn't just be like those blindfolded men who hold on to the elephant's tail and think that's the elephant. No, no, no. Learn from the religion that's holding the elephant's legs, uh, this creed that's holding the elephant's trunk, and, uh, and this philosophy that's holding the tusks. And then, like us pluralists, you'll get a, you'll get a picture of the whole. Do not be deluded by plausible arguments, the Bible says. The Bible says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do not look outside of Christ for the knowledge of God. Be assured that in Him we really do have all that we need for salvation and godly living. We will spend the rest of our lives mining these treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are found in Christ. We will continue to grow in understanding and appreciating and appropriating these treasures. But we will not, we need not, and indeed we cannot go anywhere else to find them. They are all in Christ. So now we've seen in this passage why Paul is suffering. He's suffering to bring the gospel to the Gentiles who didn't know about Jesus. He's suffering to build the Christians up to maturity in Christ. And he's struggling to help the believers keep the assurance that Christ is all that they need. That's why he toils. That's why he works so hard. That's why he suffers. But remember how we were puzzled how he described it at the beginning of the passage filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. How does, how does this help us understand that? Well, think about it this way. Let's say that the Reverend Gordon Cobb decides to give you the gift of a new car. Right? Gordon goes to the car dealer, he chooses a car for you, he pays for it out of his hard-earned money, and he says to the car dealer, 
I want you to deliver it to, to so-and-so, uh, that's you. And so the car dealer drives the car and he takes it to you. And he says, here's a gift from Gordon Kong. Here are the keys, it's yours. Now, who bought you the car? It's Gordon, wasn't it? But you know, if Gordon had simply paid for the car and walked away, you would never have got it. Because the car would still be in the dealer's showroom. Paying the car, paying for the car was not sufficient. Someone had to deliver the car to you. And unless someone did that, then you would not enjoy your new car. My friends, Jesus paid the price for our salvation. He died on the cross for all our sins. He took all our blame, our punishment for us. He suffered for us. And that was sufficient to take away all our sins. Nothing lacking in that. But for us to enjoy the benefits of that salvation, more suffering was needed. Someone needed to get that message out to us. Somehow or other, the fact that Christ died for us and rose again needed to be communicated. And someone, or in fact many people, made significant sacrifices to enable that to happen. Paul did that. People did that for us. Uh, but only, not only that, we, we need to grow in Christ. Uh, we need to learn more and more about Him from the whole Bible. We need to understand Him better and love Him more. Uh, we need to be warned, we need to be taught, we need to be encouraged so that we might be presented mature in Christ. And that takes time, that takes effort. Paul did that for people. A number of people do that for us. Uh, furthermore, when we are growing in Christ, there will be some people who will try to deceive us into to losing a hold on that, who, who will seek to lead us away from Christ to something else and to, to rob us of our assurance. And so we need to have people who will stand against that, who will be willing to suffer to oppose those who try to lead God's people astray. Paul did that for people. A number of people do that for us. Paul says he rejoices to do that. It might be hard work, might be toil, might involve suffering. For Paul, it involved going to prison. But it's a privilege to share in the sufferings of Christ. It's not a bit of roses, but it's a joy to make Christ known. I know that there are many people in our congregations who work hard for Christ. You know who you are. You serve tirelessly in many different ways so the gospel can go out. You work with people that can be demanding. Or you work to set up processes so that people work and go on unhindered. You create the infrastructure and, and stuff that. That can be strenuous as well. And yet you serve joyfully from the heart. Because you know that every treasure of God's wisdom and knowledge is found in Christ. And the message of Christ simply must go out. My sister, my brother, if that is you, rejoice. For like Paul, your suffering is not an insignificant thing. You are suffering with Christ, like Christ, partnering with Christ, co-worker with Him in the work of salvation. And that's a pretty special thing indeed. So next time you're tempted to be discouraged when it's hard, next time you think, is this really meaningful? Next time you wonder if, if working for the gospel is really worth the effort, then remember that you are suffering with Christ 
filling up what is lacking in his afflictions. You are part of his great plan. You are achieving something astounding. We can rejoice that we have the privilege of sharing with Christ the job of saving the world. We are finishing his finished work and nothing could be more significant than that. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself perfectly in Christ your Son. Please help us as your people to hold firm to our faith in him. Please help us as we seek to faithfully proclaim him and present everyone mature in him. I thank you for your energy so powerfully at work among us to enable us to persevere with joy despite whatever difficulties we might be facing. And we pray that you would encourage us and sustain us to keep loving and serving the Lord Jesus all our days. And we pray this in his name. Amen.